Thanks for joining us here at Thrive Church. We're a church passionate about moving people towards Jesus. For more information, go to our website, www.thrivechurch.co.za. Good to see you all this morning. It is, a, as Amy said earlier, it's a big week in the life of our country, isn't it? And it's a big week in the life of our church as well as we head into conference coming up uh, Friday night and Saturday. And what a time that is going to be together. But before that, we've got elections happening on Wednesday. Listen, it's not just a public holiday, okay? It's not just an excuse to bry. You've got to go and vote. We, each one of us got to vote. But I think it is important that as a church, we be praying. Uh, we can't allow ourselves to get sucked into the culture of our country, and the, which is to moan. Uh, the church uh, is allowed to moan, but it should then go step forward and then pray. And so come, do you think we should pray this morning? Can I ask us, would you do me the honor? Let's just stand to our feet and let's, let's commit Wednesday to God. Hey, the church should always be found praying for its country. No matter where the country's at, no, none of that, you know, and there are, listen, I just need to say there are a lot worse places than this, than our beautiful nation. And sometimes we just get um, a little bit, we don't see the wood for the trees sometimes, hey. So come, let's pray. Father, we ask that you would put your hand on our election day on Wednesday. Father, we pray that every person in our country would be able to vote that wants to vote, that they would be free, they would be fair, they would be uninhibited, free of any form of intimidation, that every single person would feel and be free to vote. We pray, Father, for godly leaders to emerge. We pray for people who are against corruption to stand strong. We pray that you would strengthen their hearts, strengthen their resolve, strengthen their hands. Give them favor. Give them open doors. We pray that they'd rise to the top, no matter what political party they may be in, but that godly people would rise to the top, that their, their influence would be felt, that corruption would be stopped in its tracks, that every single person in every single party that's corrupt would be worked out of the system, that they would be removed from any position of power or influence. We pray for that. We pray that you put your hand of favor upon our country. We pray that you would bless it and prosper it. We pray for our president. We do pray that you would give him wisdom, that you would give him strength, that you would give him insight, that you would fill him with your spirit, that he would know that you're strengthening him. We pray for the day. We pray for successful election time. And we pray that the result would be such that our country would be moved forward in Jesus' name. And everybody in Thrive at 10 o'clock who loved their country said, amen. amen, amen. Come, let's give God some praise for what he's going to do on Wednesday. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a, have a seat. Turn to the person next to you and say, you look good. Now turn to your second choice and apologize. Say, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> um, I'm not sure whether this will be a preach or a teach or a rant or a rave, but I, I do know that the, this little one-week window after Pastor Dean Ivy last week, did you enjoy Pastor Dean last week? 
And uh, next week, of course, Pastor Donovan is with us all services because he's here for conference and then he's preaching across the campuses on Sunday. But I've got this one little one-week window of opportunity before we launch into a new series where I really want to discharge a burden to us this, today. So forgive me if I, if I get exceptionally passionate about this, but I feel like there's something in our culture and something in our society that will hold us back. It'll hold us back individually and it'll hold us back corporately as a church. It'll hold your life back from purpose that God wants to see. It'll hold my life back and it'll hold our church back. It'll hold the global church back. If we allow the problem that our culture is, is teaching our society, if, we're, if we take it on board and if as Christians, as Christ followers, we start to think and do like our culture teaches us to think and do in this one particular area of our world. It's a global issue. It's not a South African issue. It's one of the things that will hold us back as people if we don't address it. It's like a cancer that spreads fast and kills purpose quickly. Before I tell you what it is, I want to ask you to come with me to a text this morning, 1 Samuel chapter 24. Now, before we put it up, so guys, don't put it up just yet. The context of this text that we're about to dive into is that King Saul is the first king of Israel. He's on the throne, he's ruling, but he's kind of lost the plot, Saul. He's kind of not where he should be as a leader. He's paranoid, he's fearful. David, meanwhile, his successor has been anointed as king, but not yet appointed. And Saul is madly and furiously jealous of David. He hates him. David goes from the guy who played the harp for him, who he loved, David goes to public enemy number one. Saul wants to take him out. He wants to, he wants to get rid of what he sees as his rival. And so it's into this context and this scene that we're about to dive into 1 Samuel chapter 24, verses 1 to 11. It's a little bit of text, so hang with me this morning. After, David, after Saul sorry, returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David. Listen, he's looking for one guy, but he, goes, he brings 3,000 troops. How many of you know that smacks of paranoid? At the place where the road passes some sheepfold, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. Saul goes for a wee. But as it happened... David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I'll certainly put your enemy into your hands, into your power, to do with as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of Saul's robe. Relax, he just cut off a piece of the robe. He didn't cut off anything else. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord the King. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not allow them to kill Saul. After Saul had left the cave and gone his way, David came out and shouted after him, my Lord the King. And when Saul looked around him, David bowed low before him. You picture the scene? David's up on this ridge at the entrance to this cave and Saul's leaving the area. And then he shouted to Saul, why do you listen to the people who say I'm trying to harm you? This very day you can see with your own eyes that it isn't true. 
For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said, I will never harm the king. He's the Lord's anointed one. That's why we should never trash our president. Current, past, future. Because there's an authority. doesn't matter if we like them or not. Do you think they're doing a good job? Our job is to respect authority. Look, my father, at what I have in my hand, it's a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I'm not trying to harm you, and I have not sinned against you, even though you've been hunting me to kill me. You know, Saul was hunting David. How many of you agree David would have been justified in taking Saul out in that cave? He would have been justified. Listen, he was feeling aggrieved. He was feeling hard done by. He was feeling misunderstood. He was feeling unfairly treated. It would have been so easy for David to act on his feelings and take Saul out. Or at least cut something else off while it was out, you know? (laughs) This thing of feeling, this is what, it would have been so easy for David to have acted out of emotion. This is the thing that I want to speak to us about this morning. When I speak to young people, uh, even like as young as my daughter, Caitlin, she, they've got like a, a, a different way of talking. It's not right or wrong, but it just indicates what culture is teaching us. They'll say something like, um, last week when we were at a place, Caitlin says the first thing as we get to this place, she goes, Dad, I feel like we've been here before. And I say, that's interesting that you would use the word, I feel like you've been here. I would have said, I think I've been here before. Sometimes the staff will be, say to me, I feel like we should do da 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 Okay, oh, that's interesting. Why are you feeling like it? I would have thought that's a thinking thing. Are you with me? It's indicative of a, a very important thing that our culture is, is teaching us, and, a, and it's a big problem that our culture is putting upon us. It's creating a huge problem for anybody who wants to move forward with purpose in their life. It's creating a massive obstacle and a stumbling block for anybody who wants to move forward with purpose in their life. The problem is that our culture is teaching us to act and to make decisions based upon how we feel. And we make decisions as a direct result of feeling. I feel and so I decide. Are you with me? So it'll be like, I don't feel like being married anymore. I don't feel like getting up early to exercise. I don't feel like praying or reading scripture. I, I, I don't feel like sacrificing sleep for that. I don't feel like choosing the salad over the pizza, right? Who does? I don't, I don't feel like studying for my exams. I don't feel like saving for retirement. I don't feel like the commitment of serving. I don't feel like going out tonight with friends. I'll speak to somebody, they go, hey, did you go out last night with your friends? No, I just didn't feel it. I just didn't, just didn't feel it. I just wasn't feeling in a space. I wasn't feeling in a space. What does it mean to feel to be in a space? Are you recognizing some of these things? I don't, I don't feel like coming to church. Or I don't, I don't, they asked me to serve at the, at the eight o'clock, but I don't feel like that would be good for me because I'd have to get up a bit earlier. I feel like I want to come to the five o'clock, which is like, because then I can just feel like I want to do whatever I want to do for the day. You, you with me? 
I don't feel like I'm in a good enough space to do X, Y, and Z. Maybe it's the I don't feels. Maybe it's the feels. I, I feel like a, a younger woman now. Not me, I'm a guy. <laughs> feel like marrying a younger woman, you know? I, don't, I, I feel like I'm not coping with my life. Or I feel lazy. Or I feel tired. Or I feel overwhelmed. I, I, don't, I feel like that salt and vinegar packet of chips. And so here, I feel, and then I do or I don't do based upon how I feel. Are you hearing me this morning? This is making sense to you? Now, if you're touchy-feely and you're a feely type and you feel like a lot of things, if you're feeling cross with me for raising this this morning, just chill. I'm coming to you. Okay, I'm going to help you. Just hang, hang with me if you're a touchy-feely type. The problem is this, here, when, we, when we make decisions based upon our emotions, let me tell you how emotions are defined. Emotions at the most basic level, emotions or feelings are hormones released into the bloodstream in response to a thought. Okay. Now, teenagers have been making decisions based upon their hormones since time immemorial. The problem is our culture is now teaching us as adults that we should make decisions based upon how we feel. So a couple months ago, I had a bumper bashing. It was an irritating experience. I, I was at a place, I needed to reverse out of a parking space across two lanes of traffic, one going this way, the other going that way. Stuck my car into reverse, looked, I was very careful to look, uh, but after I did that initial look, I then focused on making sure that I had the right playlist going for the rest of my journey home. So I stuck it into reverse and I went and when I last checked, there was no car there. But as I made my way and as I kind of got to the end of my reverse, I heard my tow bar and my bumper go and it hit metal. I'm like, oh. Turned around and saw that my bumper and my tow bar had connected with this uh, other car. car. Now it was a 1982 Mazda 323 that had been restored perfectly. This poor guy had restored it, the chrome, I mean, everything was shining, it was, it was beautiful, the tires were polished, and he gets out the car, and he's like, straight away, he's like, what do you think you're doing? And he's straight up into my face like this. I said to him, Brie, you better step back, otherwise this is not going to end well for us. Give me some personal space. And then we started arguing about whose fault it well, like, I said to him, I'm sorry, man, but now listen. It was my fault because I didn't check again, but it was also his fault because what had happened is he had gone through a stop street. He'd put it in second. Like, like nobody in our church would ever do that. Hey? We would never put our cars in second and just go through a stop street. And he had looked one way, but, but he hadn't looked the other way. And as he, as he kind of banked his car left, he connected straight with the back of my car. So it was both of our faults, right? And in that heated exchange, in that moment, like where he's right up in my face, and, uh, there, there wasn't a sensible decision being made anywhere. Because emotion was driving everything that was going on. Once he stepped back, I said, well, once we cooled down and we chilled, then I said, I invited him to church. He invited me to his park run because he organizes park runs. And there you go. But, and, and I settled up with him. We divided it by half and he took half, I took half. And, and, and all of a sudden, the, the decision making started to get more sensible. In that moment where the emotion was running high, you know, it was, a, it was hot, hey, it was hot. 
and load shedding had, had happened that day. So every robot was out of order. So he was grumpy. I was grumpy. Master 323 doesn't have air con, you know. <laughs> but but here, here's, here's the problem, right? There's a gap between our emotions and reality. There's a gap between our emotions and, our, and what we think is our reality and the actual truth, right? Somehow we've bought into the lie that how we feel is actually reality. Sometimes how we feel has absolutely no bearing whatsoever on reality. There's a gap between our emotions and what's rational. And there's a gap between our emotions and wisdom. Now, here's the thing. Touchy-feelies, just hang in there for a moment, okay? Don't stone me just yet. The problem is our emotions are not sensible and they're not rational and they're not intelligent and they are not wise. They are, however, valid, very valid, completely valid. God put our emotions in us. He's the one who put the hormones in our body that gets released when that happens. The, the issue is not that our, our emotions aren't valid. They are valid. David himself was one of the most emotional men you could ever hope to meet. Yes, this guy. He should have had a reality TV show. That's how bad he was. Listen to Psalm 109. This is the same guy that restrains himself in the cave. Listen to what he says about his enemies. What he says about his enemies, not what he does. Listen. He goes, when his case comes up for judgment, let him be pronounced guilty. He, he's going to start escalating soon. Watch this. Count his prayers as sins. Jeez, even the guy's prayers, he's like, make them sinful, God. <laughs> let his years be few. Let someone else take his position. May his children become fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander as beggars and, and be driven from their ruined homes. Yes, the guy's having a meltdown. May creditors seize his entire state. Strangers take all he's earned. And let no one be kind to him. Let no one pity his fatherless children. Jeez, he's going, like he is having an absolute rant here. He, David has lost the plot here. You know, how many of you know that's written out of emotion? David has not sat down and thought about it. And um, taken a calming tablet and then written that psalm. <laughs> David's written that just after the taxi cut him off, right? <laughs> Those emotions are valid. Completely valid. It's just that we take them to God. We don't act out of them. Uh, in fact, the scripture encourages us to take our emotions to God. When, when we take our emotions to God, what happens the intimacy and the friendship with Jesus increases because we, we, we're giving him our emotion. We're sharing our emotion with him. Does that make sense to you this morning? It's just that our emotions are not always sensible, not always thoughtful, not always intelligent, not always wise. That's why you don't get married in Vegas, in some chapel with Elvis. You with me. And yet increasingly, our culture teaches us to make decisions based upon emotions. And our emotions drive our decision making. And here's the thing, church. Here's the danger. We make permanent decisions 
based upon temporary emotions. And we make a permanent decision of something based upon a temporary emotion, how we feel in that moment. Back to David for a moment. Listen, if David had lived in 21st century Boxburg, I don't know if it would have been such a happy ending for Saul. If David had subscribed to the culture that, that we get taught, I think David would have come up with a, a knife, cut it off, put an Insta photo, go, how you like me now, Saul? You feeling me yet? <laughs> Who the man now, Saul? Ridiculous. Hey? That's how, uh, don't lie, that's how it would have been. He would have pulled out his gun, shot his kneecap and said, hey, but hey. But he didn't. He, he didn't act out of emotion. He didn't act. Here's the thing, here's the thing, here's the thing. Here's the thing. David didn't act out of emotion, he acted out of principle. He acted out of principle. Emotion says, I'll show you who's the man. Principle goes, this is the king. I could never harm the king. Who am I to take the king into my hands? You with me? You see, emotions will tempt us to take into our own hands things which are better off left than his. Let me give you some differences this morning between emotions and principles. Emotions ask, how do you feel about that? Principles ask, well, who do you want to become in this? Emotions serve the kingdom of me. Principles serve the kingdom of God. You know, when, when we are driven by purpose, we don't mind deploying ourselves to the kingdom of God wherever it's needed. You know, I, I once had a conversation with a guy who said to me, oh, I want to serve in the same team as my wife so I can sit next to her. I said, why do you want to sit next to her? He said, so I can hold her hand. I said to him, Brew, you have six and a half other days with which to hold your wife's hand. The problem for you, I'm not saying for every guy, the problem for you, my brew, is that you're not holding your wife's hand the other six and a half days of the week. Therefore, you want to come to church and all of a sudden try to hold her hand now to cover up for the fact that you've got six and a half days of other problems. <laughs> try to hold her hand the other six and a half days and then you'll be okay. You see, but the problem is when we place the kingdom of me above the kingdom of God, then all of a sudden we start getting picky and we start like, no, I don't want to do this or I don't want to go that time or I don't want to serve in that ministry or this is going to be too hard or I must sit next to my, my uh, girlfriend over here because uh, there's another oak in that bank over there and he keeps looking at her so I must keep. <laughs> Wait, listen, uh, listen, I'm, I'm I hope this is being helpful. I'm trying to discharge a burden to you. The, the, pro the problem is we are making our decisions based upon how we feel and we're making our decisions based upon the kingdom of me, not the kingdom of God. And when we get a revelation that the kingdom comes before we do, that's when we go, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll serve all five services if you need me to. I'll, I'll, I, will, I will be on that door, and then I'll be in the coffee shop, and then I'll be at the kids' zone. Where, where do you want me? What do you need me? Because this is about the kingdom of God. It's not about the kingdom of me. 
Are you with me? But I, I, since I'm not having a go, I'm, I'm saying that we start to believe and we start to adopt and we start to put on the coats of culture that tells us it's about our comfort and it's about our convenience. Is this okay this morning? When we say, hey, conference is coming up, make sure you register quickly. And then we say, hey, you're coming to conference. Like some of our team will say, hey, you're coming to conference. And then the guy goes, no, no, uh, I've got other plans. I'm like, are your plans about the kingdom of God or are your plans about the kingdom of you? Because when a family meeting gets called, like if Pastor Stephen, Kathy, if they, uh, you know, if they called a family meeting of, of their daughters and their husbands and that, they said, guys, there's an important thing that's going to affect the next 25 years of our family. We all need to meet. Can, can, you, can you come together on this time? And I go, no, no, I'm, I'm watching Super 15 that day. Pastor Steve, can you adjust your family meeting to, to serve the kingdom of me? How many of you know that probably wouldn't go down well with him? Now, he's a mild, gentle guy, but he'll probably give me a clap. Because <laughs> he is Lebanese. Am I, am I making sense to you? When, when we say, church, there's a family meeting. Everybody in the house, the whole family, if you're a committed, faithful, Jesus-loving partner here at Thrive, we, we are, Pastor Donovan, who leads our congregation, is speaking into the next 25 years for what he wants to see in the life of this church. Then at the family meeting, everybody in the family pulls in. You know, I used to work for a Jewish boss um, and his son just turned 13. He lives in Sydney, Australia. So he had his bar mitzvah. You know, Jewish bar mitzvah is a thing. Eh? But listen, if you ever want to see an example of a family meeting, that's a family meeting. Now, it does, I mean, they've got family all over the world. There's one guy who lives in Alaska. Listen, they said to him, you will fly into Sydney for the bar mitzvah. We're not hearing your excuses. We don't want to hear that you got, you're doing your hair on that day. We don't, whatever, we don't care. Bar mitzvah time, family meeting time, everybody gets in. Am I imparting something into you this morning. So when we say we, there's conference, it means there's conference. When we say it's a family meeting, it's a family meeting. It means we move heaven and earth to be there because we want to hear what... Now, God always does amazing things in conferences. God always does incredible things in camps and conferences. I can remember years ago, Pastor Ken and I, we went on a holiday to New Zealand, and this was going back to 2006. We planned the whole holiday, and then we were just ready to finalize the itinerary, and then we said, oh, but there's a hill, we've just noticed there's a Hillsong conference that's taking place right at the end of this. And, and we decided, we had readjusted our whole itinerary. We, we made sure the flights included a trip back that way. We spent time and money and effort, and we got to this conference because we'd always wanted to be there. We wanted to see what God was doing there. And right at the beginning of the conference, guys, I'm not even, there wasn't, nobody had struck up a chord, nobody had preached a word yet. There was just those pre-service announcements, you know, all the ones that you look at and you think, ah, what's that all about? That stuff, you know? First Timothy 3 verse 15 gets put up on the screen. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. And in that moment, God puts a burden and a love for the local church on me and he puts a call into ministry. In that moment, I was unprepared. I like got clapped across the side of the head backwards and forwards. I'm like, what's going on here? God spoke to me. God always speaks to us at conference time. He always speaks in camps. Why? Do you know why? Here's why. Because God honors a man and woman who's 
brought themselves aside and said, I want to, I want to see something new grow in my life. Um, I feel like this is a, a, maybe just a word of encouragement for somebody here. Um, if you want to see new trees grow, you've got to clear ground. Would you agree with me? Last week we were out in Mpumalanga away towards Hazy View and those areas. And it's the area of forestry. And the thought just came to me so powerfully and so clearly. You know, they, they, it's an area where there's a lot of forestry. And um, what they do is whenever they're ready to plant some new saplings, they clear the ground. They take out all the foreign weed, all the alien plants, all the oleanders, all that stuff. They take it out and they prepare the soil. And the soil looks so beautiful. It's all brown and um, prepared and tilled over and there's not a, a weed in sight and there's not a plant in sight. And then you know what they do? They plant these beautiful young saplings. The thought came to me, if you want to see new growth, you've got to clear ground. You've got to clear your diary. You've got to clear your budget. You've got to clear your space mentally, emotionally, spiritually. You've got to come away, and I believe God always honors men and women who come away and say, I'm going to take a Friday night, I'm going to take a Saturday, and I'm going to hear God speak to me and to our church, because I love our church. I'm a family member. I'm not some disconnected cousin who pulls in at Christmas time and gets drunk and then leaves, you know, like those kinds of, you know those guys? Maybe it's just my family, sorry. I'm a, I'm a, hear me this morning, guys. I'm a son and daughter in the house. I'm not some disconnected cousin that pulls in for the food and then leaves. No, no, I invest into this family. I sow into this family. I give into this family. Are you hearing me okay this morning? Emotions tell lies. Principles tell truth. David's men told him the lie. Hey, listen, it's up to you to sort out Saul. David knew the truth. The truth was God, God will decide when his king ascends to the throne. God will decide when a new king needs to come. It's up to God. That's not up to me. Emotions focus on the short term. Principles focus on the long term. David's men were like, David, he's here now. Look, he's vulnerable. You could take him out now. Short term. David, tomorrow we could crown you as king. David knows, no, 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 no. That's, that's the short way around. What was Adam and Eve's primary issue that took a shortcut? What did the devil tempt Jesus with in the desert? Shortcut. He knew. Guess how long it took David to ascend to the throne after this incident? Eight years. Eight years. But when he ascended, his rule was unparalleled. Is this making sense to anybody this morning? 10 o'clock, you okay? Turn to the person next to you and say, hello. Are you still there? I turn to your neighbor, the other one, the one you rejected first time, (laughs) and say, I still love you. (laughs) Emotions focus on the short-term principles and the long-term. Emotions shout loudly, principles whisper sweetly. Kill him, you can take him out now. Kill him, kill him, kill him. Principles go, no, 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 no. You're better than that, David. That's not how a king behaves. That's not what anointed ones do. Living by principle will involve the use of your resources, both time and money. 
living by principle will be inconvenient. I thought about it though. I think the cross was quite inconvenient for Jesus. What do you think? I said, I think the cross was quite inconvenient for Jesus. What do you think? And all of a sudden, we, we, we got a culture where, where it's about comfort and convenience. But there, there's a scripture where we, Jesus encourages us to pick up our cross. He doesn't say pick up your bag of blessings and get to heaven. He says pick up your cross. It's gone so quiet in this Presbyterian, Methodist, Armenian, Anglican, and Baptist church all rolled into one. Living by principle will involve the unknown. I love it because David didn't know how this would end, you know. I think the temptation for him would have been, but God, if I let Saul go now, surely he's going to take me on. I mean, he brought 3,000 men to this one. What's he going to do at the next one? You with me? I think David had to learn to leave the unknown, but living by principle means you don't know what's going to happen, but you've got to live by principle. You've got to decide to live by principle. And if the result of that principle is up to God, it's not up to us. You know, if David had got killed, he would have gone to heaven and said to God, well, I left it in your hands. Look, if that's what your plan was, then that's what your plan was. Living by principle will involve risk because we leave the results to God. Living by principle will involve sacrifice, hey? Living by principle will probably be more difficult. Living by principle will mostly not feel good or easy, but the results will be magnificent. Here's the thing. Here's the big reward. Here's here's the thing that I want to communicate to us this morning. Living out of principle will always move you into purpose. Living out of principle will always move you into the purposes. You know, David lived out of principle and because of that, God moved him into the ultimate purpose that he had for him, which was to be king. I think David would have disqualified himself if he had sit and taken that moment and taken Saul out in that moment. I think he would have disqualified himself because I think God would have said to him, I can't have a man like that ascend to the throne that would touch God's anointed one because he doesn't respect the throne that I'm about to give him. You know, we, we can disqualify ourselves when we live out of emotion sometimes, hey? You know, when we, when we put stuff on Facebook, fake book, I mean, sorry. <laughs> and um, so we put something on Facebook, ranting and raving about X, Y, and Z. It might be the country, it might be the taxi driver, it might be the ochre cut you off, it might be your boss, I don't know. You go, and then the next morning, so-and-so checked into Thrive Church. I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) Please don't tell them that you're checking into Thrive Church. Because they're thinking, what a muhu. Saturday, that's what you're talking about. Now Sunday, you, what, you're going to come raise your hands in worship after you've trashed the government, trashed the president? What, no, man, come on, guys. Hey, rather than just check into Thrive Church, but don't put check in on your Facebook profile. You know what I'm saying? Are you with me this morning? I need some amens. Purpose will always ask you to say some smaller no's in favor of some bigger yeses. David had to go, no to harming the king, yes to being king, right? He had to go, 
no to getting even, yes to getting the throne. You with me? There's always some, you know, I've realized I, I can't do everything that I would like to do and that other people would like me to do. I just can't. So I've got to say some no's in favor of some bigger yeses. You with me? I'm sure we all live in that world. Hey, like there's just too much stuff to, to do. But the principle, living by principle says I'll say no to the nice good feeling yeses sometimes in favor of a bigger yes. But give us a, a healthier model here to, to live with. You know, culture teaches us I, I feel and I do. Let me present to you this model. I feel, I pause, I think, and then I do. Got it? I feel valid. Just take it to God. Don't use it as the basis of a decision. Pause, think, and then do. Now, you know why this is so powerful, church? Is because for, for Christians, for people who follow Jesus, when we insert the little I think part there, guess what happens? The Holy Spirit has an opportunity to take control of the situation. You know why he does it or how he does it? Check out Romans chapter 12, verse two. It'll be on the screen. It says, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed. How? By the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. The power in this model is that when we feel, take it to God, we pause, we reflect, we allow our emotion to, to be what it is. We don't try and shove it out the door. We don't try and kick it out the back door and, and put it, we, we feel what we feel, but then we pause. And then we think. And in that moment, the Spirit of God takes control of our minds. He gives us wisdom. He gives us strength. He gives us the capacity to know what to do. And then we do. And guess what happens? We make healthier decisions. We make wiser decisions. We make better decisions. We make more God-honoring decisions. We make better decisions for the kingdom of God, less decisions for the kingdom of me. We start to make the decisions that would please the heart of God as opposed to pleasing the heart of me. Is that making sense to you this morning? Everybody Okay. Moses felt unqualified, Joshua felt afraid, Elijah felt overwhelmed, David felt betrayed, Martha felt too busy and used and abused by her sister, Peter felt the sting of his denial, Timothy felt too young and unqualified, Paul felt the thorn in his flesh all the time, Jesus felt the agony of the cross. All of these men, all of these women felt things, but they moved beyond the emotion of their feelings to the principles upon which they based their lives. And because of that, they lived out of principle and into purpose. Can I get some amens out there? This message was recorded live at Thrive Church. We hope that it inspired you to move towards Jesus.